I hate those people. They don't deserve to live. What a bunch of idiots. I'm glad there's less of them now. White privilege. Racists. Could it be that hatred in your own heart makes you think these thoughts and believe them, dear listener? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these programs are uploaded and you're going to find other content on there as well, previous content. You can find us at godsresistance.com. That's our central hub. And on Facebook, Twitter, Gab, YouTube, and Rumble at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. We are looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. We've been going through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the very fabric of our legal system, our code of morality in America, which is fast eroding away, and people would rather say that we we have some sort of relativism or something that, you know, we're, we can be better than the Ten Commandments. But I'll have you know, the Ten Commandments have been the foundations of Western society, which at large has been some of the greatest innovations, some of the greatest blessings to mankind has come through. Uh, Western society, even in the midst of all of its problems. And I think that that's at large because of the morality that has come into our Western culture from the Bible, specifically the Ten Commandments, as the basis of our responsibility and relationship toward God and toward men, people. So this commandment now for this morning is thou shalt not kill. We've heard that I don't know how many separate times, thou shalt not kill, you shouldn't kill. We know we shouldn't do it. It doesn't always stop us from doing so. Some of us have made some very poor choices. Some have murdered others or have killed, and the consequences have you know, come as a result of our actions. But I think we inherently understand we shouldn't do that. No matter how angry we get, uh, killing is not the answer. I think a lot of us would say, yeah, I, I can agree with that wholeheartedly. However. There's a lot of things that are sources of confusion. I was talking with somebody a while back, and they were saying, how could you, as a leader, they were saying, I I couldn't do this myself, but how could you, as a leader, uh, give the go-ahead to start a war, to bomb, you know, enemy territories or whatever? How could you do that, taking human life? Isn't God against that? And I had to explain the difference between Uh, public justice and personal vengeance. Um, Now, when we read here, thou shalt not kill, 
we need to understand specifically what it is that God is telling us not to do so that we can do this right, so that we don't have an unreasonable expectation of society, we don't have an unreasonable expectation of government, we don't have an unreasonable expectation of people. God give, gave us a moral code, and it's not just a moral code, it is the law of God written in the tablets of our hearts. And it says that when we came into the world, Jesus lights every man that comes into the world. Every person has a conscience where they realize these fundamental things here. Uh, one of these Ten Commandments this morning being, thou shalt not kill. So what does this commandment mean by kill, the word kill? Uh, we could get very confused if we don't get this cleared up. It doesn't mean killing somebody unawares, like you did it by accident. You may say to yourself, how in the world does that take place? Well, the Bible brings up incidents of some killing or, or some, somebody's life being snuffed out, taken, um, ended, where it wasn't premeditated. They weren't lying in wait. <clears throat> they didn't plan this ahead of time, thinking through all the different things so that they could commit this crime. It was an accident. We can read about that in Exodus uh, chapter 21, verse 13. It says, And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. So uh, I think there was another place inside of the scriptures that was talking about something like, say you were splitting wood and the axe head came off of the handle, launched away, ended up hitting somebody in the head and eventually taking their life. That's not what this is talking about here. Thou shalt not kill. Uh, it also wouldn't, it wouldn't be something like, you know, if you're driving down an interstate and you get into an accident and somebody's life is taken because of it, uh, this is not what this is talking about. It could be vehicular manslaughter if you're under the influence of alcohol because now there's intents involved um, in what had taken place and there were things that were under your control. But we're not just simply talking about somebody's life ending. Uh, a person that was killed in the Old Testament was not in who was not an enemy of the slayer, uh, nor did the slayer hate or harm the killed person who has now been killed in times past. There was a history behind all that. This is where our judicial system is is good if it actually goes the way it's supposed to. Numbers 35, 22 through 34, we read this. But if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, that's without hostility, or have cast upon him anything without laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man may die, seeing him not, and cast it upon him that he die, and was not his enemy, neither sought his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. But if the slayer shall at any time Come without the border of the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood kill the slayer. He shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. So these things shall be for a statute of judgment unto you throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. Moreover, 
ye shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. And ye shall take no satisfaction for him that is fled to the city of his refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. So God hates murder. He hates the shedding of innocent blood here. He hates that. And he had given a provision in the law. If this had happened, there were specific cities of refuge where then if you had taken someone's life, and in this particular context of what we read, even by accident, you were to flee to the city of refuge and you would be safe in this city of refuge. The congregation would try you. They would see if there was any malintent, if it was an accident or what it was. And if it was an accident, you were held you were to stay in this city of refuge until the death of the high priest, and then you could leave and go back to wherever you came from beforehand. But if you were not, if you you didn't obey that and you went out and you were caught by this avenger of blood, because blood, if blood was shed, then the, what the Old Testament said was, you shed someone's blood, then your blood shall be shed. Uh, That was it, blood for blood, as far as civil government and civil authority was concerned. They were not to take personal vengeance, there was somebody who executed this judgment uh, under civil government. And so there were things that needed to be done there. And if they had followed these particular um, laws and rules there, then somebody who had done that unawares was not to be punished for no reason. Um, But then somebody who was a murderer, they couldn't hide inside of the city of refuge and just say, well, I'm here, so no capital punishment will take place. No no consequences to me will happen. So here we find this, that you could end up taking somebody's life by accident, and there's provision for that. So when when, when God says, thou shalt not kill, he's not talking about the uh, things by accident. Obviously, it was an accident, so the person didn't mean to kill anybody. In uh, Joshua 20, verse 5, we read, And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. So if somebody took someone's life and the avenger of blood was there to execute punishment or, you know, blood for blood as the law had spoken and was to execute that, and yet they had found that in that trying of this man, this person did not have hatred towards this person before time, there's no reason why this should happen, then they didn't give that man up to the avenger of blood. That man had a place of refuge in a city of refuge. So it doesn't mean by accident. That's what I'm trying to get at here. It does mean someone that used a weapon to kill somebody else out of hatred or anger. We read this in Numbers 35. If he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he smite him with throwing a stone wherewith he may die and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he smite him with an hand weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The revenger of blood himself shall slay the murderer. When he meeteth him, he shall slay him. But if he thrust, if he thrust him of hatred, or hurl at him by the laying of weight, that he die, or in enmity smite him with his hand, that he die, he that smote him shall surely be put to death, for he is a murderer. The revenger of blood shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him. Notice they use the word murderer over and over here. Taking somebody's life 
is not necessarily what God condemns here in this passage, but murder. The Ten Commandments that we're talking about, thou shalt not kill, is speaking of murder, and murder speaks of intent. What does this look like? We find a couple places inside of the scriptures. Um, killing to cover up the wrongs uh, that you have done. So we find David, during war, he ends up committing adultery with Uriah, one of his soldiers' wives, and she becomes pregnant, and he wants to hide what he did. So he tries to get Uriah to go um, spend some time with his wife and lay with her so that she becomes pregnant, and he can say, well, it's Uriah's kid. Uh, But he won't do that. He said, my brothers are out there fighting a war. I can't come in here and take this privilege like this. You know, not while they're still fighting. So David's plans are foiled there. And he tells his chief captain of his army, Joab, he says, Joab, I want you to put Uriah in the front lines and I want you to put him in a place where he's ultimately going to die. Because then when he dies, then um, this which I have done uh, isn't going to be such a heinous thing because then I'll just take uh, Bathsheba, which was Uriah's wife, to myself as a wife, and uh, I can cover this up. So he literally, the intent of his heart was to have Uriah killed to hide his sins. That is murder. Even though David didn't do it by his own hand, he arranged everything on purpose to get Uriah killed to hide his own sins. Thou shalt not kill, that falls under this head. Killing for selfish gain. We read about that with uh, Jezebel who was Ahab, the king's wife. Ahab wanted this man Naboth's field, and it was an inheritance to him, given to him, and Naboth said, no, I'm not going to give my inheritance away. And Ahab acted like a whiny baby and said, well, I really want that field. And Jezebel says, well, don't you know who you are? You're the king. I'm going to take care of this. So she says something. She lies about Naboth. Naboth gets picked up by a bunch of uh, crowd of people and, and gets accused of doing something he didn't do, they end up killing him, and then she says, now he's dead, so in the field's yours. So he killed somebody for selfish gain, and Jezebel had this whole thing planned out, executed it, and now a man's life is taken simply because of covetousness and selfish gain. Another situation in the Bible we read about is this uh, queen, or this lady, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, he was a king. He, he, his life uh, had ended, And she then was so jealous over the throne and over power that she orders the killing of all of the heirs to the throne, which would be her own sons or Ahaziah's brothers. And she has them all killed because she wants selfish gain. She wants the power. She wants the authority. She wants to ascend to the throne. Thou shalt not kill. This falls under that head. Killing because of jealousy. We read about that first instance all the way back in Genesis where... Cain is jealous of Abel. Abel, he provided a blood sacrifice to God, and Cain gave God some grain sacrifices, and God said, that's what I wanted was the blood sacrifice. Cain starts to feel jealous. Oh, you know, he's God's special pet or whatever, so he ends up killing his own brother out of jealousy. Here we find intent. Thou shalt not kill is speaking of murder. It's speaking of intent. So that helps us to clear up a few things right off the beginning of what God is talking about. He's speaking about murder. He's speaking about wrong intent. Now it says in this, thou shalt not kill. Thou is directed towards individuals as a moral directive. Therefore, this command does not forbid certain things, capital punishment, war, or um, even... uh, civil authorities like policemen or something like that. 
let's go through capital punishment right off. Sometimes people read the New Testament and they think uh, in reading the New Testament, somehow God is different than he was in the Old Testament. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And they would say, I can't see how there's any place for capital punishment. So there must have been something weird going on in the Old Testament. I don't understand it, but we shouldn't have capital punishment. We should not have the death penalty. I've heard people make those arguments. Capital punishment is the enforcement and protection of the law under the institution of civil government. And I would say that it's repeated over and over again, especially in our present day, we can see it more and more. Justice cannot be maintained without capital punishment. So those sentenced to capital punishment, they're not doomed to eternal hell necessarily. They still have the opportunity uh, to repent before they're executed and they could make heaven their home, even though their crimes warranted a capital punishment here on earth. There's public justice that has to be dealt with here. You can't just allow somebody to get off scot-free with some sort of heinous crime. And then what it does is it doesn't, the people uh, of society, uh, they feel emboldened almost to do the same thing because the consequence is really not that big of a deal. And so capital punishment deters others from committing the same heinous crime and it, it displays public justice. It's not just you did this bad thing and you deserve payment. It's you did this heinous thing. You, so blood is going to be shed for blood, but also we don't want anyone else doing this thing. So it's public justice. We got to get that in our minds. Um, there was a, a story and it has really happened. William Booth in England was, he went uh, to go preach and he was going into this mafia center where the policemen, even themselves were afraid to go. He went in there preaching. He was getting beaten <clears throat> with chains, clubs, and he had a bunch of other people that were with him, some that were newly saved. They're going in, they're getting beaten, clubbed, and all this is happening to him. And he continues to persist and he preaches. These men come out, they're about to take the lives of these Salvation Army officers, but they got under such conviction under his preaching and the love that he had for them. He wept as he told them they were going on their way to hell and he was preaching to them in there. And all of them got saved right there in an alleyway. Then they turned themselves in for the crimes that they had committed and they had murdered people. And they went away rejoicing all the way through capital punishment and execution because their sins were forgiven. They had peace with God and they said, you know what? We did do these evil crimes. And so consequences take place because of those. And it is said that they were rejoicing in their salvation, even though they faced the death penalty for the deeds that they had done here on earth. So we need to, in the, in the heart and mind of God, we need to separate those two things because he has a rule that needs to take place here on earth mixed with saints and sinners, but he also has a moral government and a kingdom that far exceeds even just this earthly life. Deuteronomy 17.6, we read, At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. So it's given that capital punishment is in the mind and heart of God. Uh, we know that the avenger of blood we were speaking of just a little bit before that person was the, the one to execute that capital punishment on somebody who had murdered. Uh, the law is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus spoke against that in the New Testament because people took that civil government authority as personal vengeance. So now they were trying to take the law into their own hands. That is what Jesus was condemning. Never was, that, never was Jesus condemning civil government, capital punishment, or any of the like. 
So capital punishment is not against this commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Also war, because there are righteous causes for war. There are also unrighteous causes for war. We need to determine uh, the two of those. I don't think anybody presently living um, would say that fighting against Nazi Germany was unjust. I think all people that have a conscience, that have any sort of moral heart, could look on a situation like that and think, well, I guess we'll just let this all play out. I think all of us have something that rises up in our heart and say, that's the most horrible thing I've ever seen. We need to do something about this. This needs to stop. You can't just be killing a bunch of people just because you want to. So there are righteous causes for war. And I believe World War II against Nazi Germany, that's a righteous cause. We need to stop that. Genocides that are happening in other countries and stuff, if we have the power to go ahead and take uh, you know, that situation and right it, I think we have a moral responsibility to do that. So there are righteous causes for war. God does not say that no blood should be shed at all, full stop, but that no innocent blood should be shed. So guilty blood, there's a time for that to be shed, but no innocent blood should be shed. That is murder. Thou shalt not kill. So Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. That's murder. That is what God is speaking against in this commandment. Thou shalt not kill. You can, however, fight in a war that is righteous. The war, the cause of the war is righteous in and of itself and still yet be guilty of murder. If you have hatred in your heart towards the opposing side, and I'm not just talking about hatred towards their heinous acts, but you literally hate them, then you have murder in your heart. I remember, I can't remember what this guy's name was. He was a Marine. He was in Burlington, Vermont. I think you could probably still find him on YouTube. I'm sure you can. But he gave a testimony in front of some group of people there in the public uh, in Burlington, Vermont, about him being over in Iraq. And they had, obviously, weapons, machine guns, all this kind of stuff. And he was deprecating himself. He was saying that this was terrible. I shouldn't have done this. I don't know if legal actions were taken against him, but he, he came out with it. He basically confessed to killing people that were innocent in Iraq because he was just anger, anger in his heart, or sometimes it was just fun. I don't know. I can't understand that, but whatever. War can mess your mind up. Any rate, he said that sometimes what would happen is they would just open fire on innocent civilians just simply because they were Iraqis or they were Muslim or whatever they were. And he didn't have any reason to believe that these people in and of themselves were criminals or had done something wrong because he had no proof yet. But he was just slaying them and then throwing them over, I think it was like a 15 or 20 foot wall, threw them over a 15, 20 foot wall to kind of scatter the evidence of what he had done. Just, you know, shooting bullets into a mosque. Um, Now, there could have been evil that had come out of that mosque, but he didn't necessarily have proof that there was something nefarious taking place there. So at that point, the intent of that person's heart was murder. And there, there, he was in a war that perhaps was trying to do some good. And I'm not trying to, I really don't know all the ins and outs of all of what had happened in Iraq. I'm sure there was some good that was done there, and I'm sure there were some terrible things that were done there. And I can't say that all of it was good. Probably a good portion of it was unnecessary at times because people are greedy and they're looking for money. And unfortunately, we have that that we're dealing with also. However, I don't know the whole situation, so I'm not trying to speak to that. 
But you can be a part of a just war and still have murder in your heart and have murdered people while forwarding a good cause, uh, that larger general cause. And I said, so it's not a, this, this commandment's not against capital punishment, it's not against war, and it's not against police having to sometimes use brute force to maintain law and order. It says in, in uh, the book of Romans 13, God said that those law enforcement uh, agents, they don't bear the sword in vain. You should be afraid of them if you're doing that which is wrong. Now, we're in a, a society right now where anytime anybody gets killed by a policeman, especially if you are a um, black man, black woman, African-American, whatever, I, I don't know what, which one's the proper term in these days. It just seems like it's, it keeps changing back and forth, so I'm not trying to be insensitive towards you know um, people groups or whatever by saying it. I'm just saying it is what it is. Here's what we're dealing with. If, if, if somebody who is a black person is killed by a policeman, immediately there's uproars, riots, and troubles all over the place. And I'm not saying that there aren't times where policemen have done things that are terrible and wrong and they need to be held accountable for it. But I'm not saying that every time that somebody's life is taken that it's wrong either. Uh, God has given the civil authorities that power to execute wrath and judgment on those that are doing wicked and evil. With that being said, everything needs to be looked at. Everything needs to be tried. This commandment does forbid, and this is going to bring it closer to home, somebody who takes away somebody else's life without authority of God. That, that person's called a murderer. This commandment does forbid abortion. Abortion is murder. There is a heartbeat inside of a fetus after 18 days. Though the government can pass laws in favor of abortion, it is still the choice of the individual in most cases whether to kill a life or not. And if you abort, you are murdering. Many people in the Old Testament that worshipped a god called Moloch, which is a giant statue, they would heat this giant statue up and then pass their children through the fire to be burned. We read about God saying in Jeremiah 19.5, They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither it came into my mind. This is abomination to God. Abortion is murder. Euthanasia, a mercy killing, is murder. God has the power to keep someone's life going or to take someone's life. We don't have that power. It doesn't even matter if they're going through tremendous amounts of suffering. Sometimes suffering is a means of grace by the hand of God to get people serious about eternity that's coming up ahead, and we're stepping in and thinking that we know better than God. Euthanasia is murder. It's not mercy killing. Those are are words people use to try and soften what's actually happening. This commandment also speaks against or goes against hatred in the heart. Matthew 5, 21 through, uh, let's see, 22. uh, Jesus talks about, thou shalt not kill. You've heard about that, but I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you've committed murder in your heart already. Matthew 15, 19, he said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemy. He said, murder starts in the heart. That's speaking against this. This commandment also speaks against speaking ill of people, basically cutting people down with your words. It speaks against defaming people's characters, murdering them with your words, so to speak. It speaks against having a get-even spirit. It speaks against anger or wrath toward another person that is not for a righteous cause. It It speaks against neglecting to save someone's life if it's in your immediate power to do so. It speaks about the sacredness of human life. It speaks against committing suicide. Uh, Committing suicide is self-murder. 
I understand that there's some people that um, have uh, some kind of extreme insanity in their minds, and and I have to leave that with God. You know what what kind of responsibility they have, God only knows. But suicide in general is self murder. It is this commandment speaks against it. This commandment also would speak against unforgiveness. God thinks human life is so sacred and so valuable because it was created in His image. Who are we to take that life? Are you angry in your heart towards people? Would you beat them if you were given the chance and wouldn't get caught? Do you know that awful anger inside of you? Maybe you've aborted a child. You had an abortion. Or maybe you think it's okay to mercy kill. If you're here in this place, it's not hopeless. I ministered to somebody who murdered two people because he was in drug trafficking. And uh, he gave his life to God. He got his life turned around. He changed. If you're guilty, you can come to Christ. You can repent. You can confess your sins, the sins you've done. And you can be born again. You can be changed. You can be a new person. You, there, there is still hope while you're yet living. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or to email gods.resistance at uh, or, uh, gmail.com. Introduce yourself to me. I'd like to, to meet with you. We could talk. I could help you further in your journey. Like and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. For more teaching and preaching uh, on your journey, you can connect with other people there also. Tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. here on WITK 1550 a.m. And uh, also tell your friends about our social media account. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission to the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.